We've been talking for the last few weeks about the miracles of Jesus and how that there are times that Jesus did something and there was really no good way to describe it. You really couldn't respond to it except to just throw your hands up and say, he did what? He did what? It's unbelievable what Jesus has done. It's just hard to describe. It's indescribable. But he did these things that we have in Scripture that we can look at historically. He did a spiritual work in the lives of those who were there. And he's still doing miracles today. Aren't you thankful for that? And so today it's interesting to me that uh, while I planned this message series many weeks ago and kind of laid out the, the, the direction that I would go, it's interesting to me how God's timing always seems to be perfect. I mean, we're going to talk about Lazarus today and the death of Lazarus, not knowing that we were going to have a member of our church to pass away this week. It's just interesting to me that God knows all those things and he is able to lay it out in such a way that the word of God comes to us in a timely fashion and in a timely manner. So today we're going to talk from John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. There are 45 verses here that I want to read, so if you need to uh, take a nap, now would be a good time for you to do that, uh, but I'm just going to read it anyway. John chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now there's the reason for the miracle right there. If you need a reason, that's it. Jesus is going to be glorified in this situation. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day... He does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. I like that, don't you? The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he meant that he was taking rest in sleep. In other words, he is taking a nap. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him now. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God the Father, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Do you see how this Scenario is building in intensity here. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. I like the way the King James Version says it. Lord, by now he stinketh. It sounds like every day of our lives for some of us. Amen? Doesn't take four days for some of you to start stinking. Myself included. Lord, by now he stinketh. Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of those who are standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice and said, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him, unbind him, and let him go. Verse 45. 
Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Father, thank you for your word today. Add your blessing upon it. Let me and my words be effective as I preach today. And let the ears of this people hear you and your spirit as you speak to them through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. High five your neighbor and say, I'm ready to go. How about you? Ready to go. This passage of scripture here can be preached from so many different angles. In fact, through the years as I have visited this passage of scripture, I myself have preached it from so many angles. It's easy to use this passage of scripture to talk about death and what will happen in the afterlife and how God has designed birth, conception, birth, life, death, and resurrection. It's easy to preach that. It's also preach, easy to preach about relationships and how that it talks about how that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them. What that really means is, is that he had a special relationship with them. It, they would be his rook buddies. You know what I'm saying? He, he would go to their house and, and brew up some coffee and play rook if they had it in those days. They, they, they were friends with one another. They had a special relationship. It would be easy to preach about the love of God and how God loves us so much that he sent his son. It'd be easy to talk about how much love Jesus has for everyone. It'd be easy to preach from any of those angles. But today what I want to talk to you about is how there is a beautiful picture that is painted that talks about not only salvation, but water baptism. And how that when we are baptized that it follows the pattern in many ways of this passage of Scripture. So as we look at it for just a few moments this morning, I want to mention four things that are factual about this historical account. And the first thing that I would like to mention to you is that it's very clear that Lazarus was dead. Now, I don't mean he was taking a nap. I don't mean that he was sleeping. I don't mean that he was just exhausted and worn out, dead, tired. How many of you ever said, I'm just dead tired? It's Monday. Here we go again. I don't know if I can make it or not. I'm dead tired. That is not what's being said here. He was dead. His body had died. We know that that is true because the scripture tells us that he was dead. And the parallel is simply this. We were born dead, if I can say it that way. Because when we were born into this life, we were born into sin. We all have a sin nature that causes us to be dead and not alive. We are born, if you will, dead. But as we live our lives and we come to a place, the old timers used to say it was the age of accountability. How many of you ever remember hearing that term? In other words, when a child comes to the place where they can understand what Jesus did for them and they make a decision to follow Christ, that is what we term the age of accountability. Some children mature sooner than others do. I'm still trying to grow up myself, so I probably ought to baptize myself today because my wife tells me that I can be very immature at times. You know what I'm saying? I mean, none of you are that way, only the pastor. I'm the only one with a maturity problem. 
But we all grow at different rates and in, in different stages. And so it's the age of accountability, if you will. And when we come to the place where we understand and realize that Jesus Christ did, in fact, do what he said he did, which was to give his life for the payment of our sin, then we get the opportunity to choose whether or not we believe that. And if we choose to reject that, then we know that we remain spiritually dead. We may be physically alive. Our body may be getting up every day. We may be doing all the things that other people do. But we know that we are spiritually dead. If you believe the Word of God, you have to admit that that is the theme that runs throughout all of Scripture. That without Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sins. But that's the bad news. The good news is is that when we make up our mind to believe what Scripture says, and we believe that Jesus did in fact die for our sins, and we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we immediately are moved from a place of spiritual death to a place of spiritual life. I'm glad to know that I am alive today because of Christ Jesus. I don't lose any sleep over it. I know the Scripture says that it's appointed unto man wants to die and then the judgment. I'm not afraid of dying and I'm not afraid of the judgment, either one. Whenever it's my time, I'm, I'm going to be glad to get out of here. I love my life and I enjoy living in the abundance that Christ provides me. But I'm telling you there's coming a day when we're going to leave all this behind and spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And I'm looking forward to that day. I wouldn't bring Miss Frieda or Mr. Harvey back for a million bucks because they are realizing and experiencing the very thing that they live their lives for. The, the thief comes to kill you, to destroy you, and, and, to de and to destroy you in every way. But listen, he came so that you might have life and so that you might have it abundantly. So he was dead. Secondly, I want you to notice that he was raised to a new life. He was dead, now he's alive. That's not just about breathing, it's about breathing in now a new life. The scripture says that when we are born again, something spiritual happens to us. It, it describes it like this, old things pass away. And behold, all things, look at your neighbor and say all things, all things become new. Now, let me explain to you all things. Now, some of us, when we get saved, when we, ex when we invite Jesus into our lives, we hope that we'll maybe have a new hairdo, or maybe we'll be able to drop 30 pounds just like that. You know, before I was overweight, but now because I've accepted Christ, I'm as skinny as can be. All things have become new. I'm no longer fat and ugly. I am now skinny and beautiful because I got saved. Let me tell you something, if that were true, there, there wouldn't be enough churches in America to put everybody who would accept that kind of a deal. But the Bible does say all things, right? It says all things. Behold, all things become new. But if I didn't get a brand new car, and if I didn't get a bigger house, and if I'm not beautiful now when I was ugly before, if all those things have not changed, then what's he talking about? He's talking about our spiritual being. He's talking about the inner man. All things become new. Now, I know what you're thinking, and I'll get to it in just a few minutes, 
But there are still some things that we have to call out of our lives after we become Christians. I don't know if you know that or not. Back in the day when I was a young man, we, you know, the minute we got saved, we had to forsake all of our friends. We had to get our hair cut. If we had any tattoos, we had to, you know, cover them up. If we danced before, we couldn't dance anymore because dancing led to sex. And, and when you're 12 years old, that's a no-no. How many of you know that? Yeah, I never could understand why when I got saved when I was seven, and then I got saved when I was nine, and I got saved when I was 11, got saved when I was 14, I got saved when I was 17, I got saved. Uh, there was always something I had to give up. Let me tell you something right now. Coming to Christ is not about giving something up. It's about receiving more than you'll be able to handle in your lifetime because of the blessings of Christ Jesus upon your life. He was raised to new life. The scripture says that Jesus went over to the tomb and he said, roll that thing back. And they said, don't you know, Jesus, he's going to stink. He's been in there for four days. A lot of us, when we came to Jesus, we stunk. Would you not be honest about that? I mean, we just flat out smelled bad. And I'm not talking about our body. I'm talking about our attitudes. I'm talking about our life. I'm talking about our habits. I'm talking about everything. It just flat out stunk. But I'm glad to know that Jesus is not afraid of your stink. Amen. That he will roll the stone back and he will call you out. Let me, let me point out another thing. He didn't call everybody out of that tomb. One black pastor said one time, he said, it's a good thing he said Lazarus. Because if he hadn't said Lazarus and he simply said, come forth, said everybody underground would have started coming out like zombies walking all over the face of the earth because Jesus said, come forth. No, he was very specific and he said, Lazarus, come forth. He had a purpose involved. Let me tell you something. When he calls your name, he wants you to come forth. It can't come from a pastor and it can't come at, from the church and it can't come from the Pope and it can't come from anybody else. I'm telling you, when Jesus Christ finds you and calls your name, he is wanting you to be resurrected from your dead sinful life into a life that is new because of Jesus Christ. Third thing I want you to notice is that he was liberated from his bondage. He came out of the tomb and the scripture says that he, had, that he had rags wrapped around him, around his feet, around his arms, around his face. He came out and he was in bondage. Now, I'm not going to try to mimic the way that he would have had to have walked, but you know that if his legs were bound together, he couldn't be taking these kind of steps. So he, he was struggling along. And I like what Jesus said. He said, loose that man and set him free. Unbind him. Can I just tell you that I am praying that God will loose you from some of the junk that has held you bound for so many years? This is not about salvation. He's already, he's already raised Lazarus. He's already given him new life. But now that he's in his new life, he's still struggling with the bondage. Let me tell you that Jesus doesn't want you to come to him and repent of your sin, but then just keep living in bondage. I'm going to make a few old timers mad maybe, but I'm not meaning to, honestly. I've asked the Lord this year to help me to be nice. But you know, the church that I grew up in, it was all about the outward stuff of your life. 
It was all about your hairdo. If you got saved, you had to go get you a new hairdo and pile it way up high on your head. I call it the Tower of Babel. All the women had to have those things and they wrapped them in, in silky underwear or, or in, in, in toilet paper all the way to the top. And it, it was like, you had to go get yourself one of those. And sometimes ladies had to pay big money to get it. They'd have to go buy them a wig, put it on top of their head. It's about your friends and who you ran with. It was about whether you drank or if you smoked. I, I've heard more sermons on cigarettes than I, I can even count. Listen, I'm tired of hearing about cigarettes. I want to see the work of Christ in your life. It's not about outward adornment. It's about the inner spirit that you possess in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are always coming to me with a list of rules that you think I ought to be living, keep it to yourself. I don't give a royal rip whether or not you think I ought to preach in a three-piece suit and a tie. There might be some days I'll do that. And there, I might wear my BVDs next weekend, my Speedo. You just never know. I'm just kidding. We don't have one of those kinds of churches. I've never had anybody say anything like that to me at all. This is the coolest, funnest, most awesome church. It's, there you go. There you go. I love you. And I know you love me. But what I'm trying to say is the church world can get so caught up in the outward adornment and the outward stuff that we forget that what is important is the inner relationship with Jesus Christ. But the truth of the matter is, is that even after we're saved, we still have some things that bind us up. I'm much more concerned with people who are dealing with unforgiveness that need to forgive someone in their life. That's much more damaging than whether or not you have a Tower of Babel hairdo. I'm more concerned about those who still kind of like to steal underneath the table and that kind of thing. When the scripture is very clear that we need to put those kinds of things away. Yes, it's an outward activity, but it is a reflection of an inner heart. I'm much more concerned about people getting out of bondage. I'm much more concerned about drug addicts being able to get off of the addiction. I'm, I'm much more concerned about the things that will set us free than a look that we can put on or a religious activity that we think that we need to be involved with. I want God to set us free. Why? Because his word says that he whom the son sets free is free indeed. The scripture says the truth shall set you free. I don't know about you today, but I'm tired of being in bondage. As many years as I've lived this life for Christ, there are still some things that I have to cut out. There are some attitudes that I still have to ask the Lord to forgive me. It hadn't been too long ago I got myself so bound up in an attitude and a mentality that I had to just ask the Lord to please forgive me and help me to get over it. Listen, we're all working this thing out with the help of Jesus Christ. The scripture says, work out your own salvation and fear and trembling before the Lord. So let me just tell you today, serving Jesus is really not that hard. I know people say, I could never serve Jesus. I can't ever get myself clean enough, pure enough, in, in, in the position that I need to be saved. Listen, 
Anybody who wants to come to Jesus Christ can come to him. Anybody that wants to come to this church is welcome to come to this church. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. It doesn't matter to me. But let me tell you something right now. God will not be content to leave you in that condition. Because when he saves you, he wants to not only save you from your sin, but he wants to release you from those things that have held you in bondage. Amen. Aren't you glad for freedom today? I'm glad to be free in Christ Jesus. And then finally, look at your neighbor and say, when he says that, it doesn't mean a thing. The final thing I want you to see about this is that, that Lazarus became a living witness. Did, did you notice verse 45? Turn over there with me. Verse 45. It says, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Listen, I've been saying this. I know I sound like a broken record. I've been saying it for the last few weeks, but your relationship with Jesus Christ is not simply about you. What God is doing in your life is meant to shine light on the lives of others. How will unbelievers know that they can be saved unless someone preaches? Unless somebody tells the story? I, I always love reading some of the Facebook comments from few select people in this church. One of them is Leslie Davis. I like the fact that she is an encourager. I like the fact that there are many times that she sees somebody going through a difficult time and she will say, I'm praying for you. There have been a few times that she doesn't wait to pray later. She just starts praying on Facebook. Boy, in Jesus' name, I'm on the other end of Facebook saying, preach! Go, sister! There been a couple of times I've texted her and I said, you're preaching Sunday. She said, no, I don't really want to do that. I, I love it when Derek Williams posts on Facebook and says, man, I got to be honest with you. This is a horrible week. I started to say hellacious, but I wasn't sure some of you could handle that. <laughs> it's a horrible week. Man, this has gone wrong, and that has been gone wrong, and this has been difficult, and that's been difficult. But at the end, batter up, bat and clean up. He said, but my God has seen me through this situation and I have overcome. I tell you, I don't mind you sharing your negativity as long as you'll close it out by saying, but I know my God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his grace that is in us. Amen. I love social media. I love it because it gives us an opportunity to get the word out unlike anything that we've ever been able to do before. And the scripture tells us that when Lazarus was raised from the dead, the word began to spread about what Jesus had done and people began to believe. Let me tell you that you have the light of Jesus Christ shining on you in such a way that when people come around to you, they're gonna say, man, what, what is up with you? Something, how can you be so happy? How
How can you be so full of joy? How can you be such an overcomer when you're dealing with all this stuff in your life? And when they say that, you can say, you know, I'm so glad you asked because I don't do what I do in my own strength and my own power. I have a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. He lives within me and he keeps me overcoming every day of my life. Come back to the music, if you will. I'm getting, I, I really am going to quit tomorrow. But I really am going to quit. You know, I, I, I know that we love Harvey. One of the things that I love so much about Harvey is he was a one who let, let his light shine. He let everybody know about his testimony. I noticed that several of you posted on Facebook, but that one of the reasons that you remained in this church after you visited the first time was because of a Harvey hug. Because Harvey would come over and hug your neck and be positive, and I'm glad to see you today. I'm glad that you're here. Some of you are here today because of his greasy gravy that he used to make on Saturdays, and I don't know if you remember it or not, but he'd come early in the morning and he'd make that greasy gravy and it would float on the top and, and, and you had to stir it before you could put it on your biscuit because it was so greasy. But he'd be in there whistling and singing and talking about the good things of God. Let me tell you, God's been good to us. He has been faithful to us. And he has called us to be his witness. One of the last times that I was at the hospital to visit him, they thought he had had a stroke. They weren't sure, and they put him in to do dialysis because he had to have dialysis on a regular basis. It was, it, it, it was easy for me to see that Harvey was having a hard time, that he was struggling. And we got to talking about when the Lord saved him. We got to talking about how that his life changed drastically because of Jesus Christ. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, I don't know why through all these years that I've had to suffer physically in my body the way that I've had. And I've had to. I've been in this hospital more times than I can count. I've, I've lost track. Almost every doctor and every nurse in this hospital knows who I am because I've been here so much he said the only thing that I can figure is that he knows I can handle it and that he knows I'm going to use this as an opportunity to tell others about the grace of Jesus Christ there was a nurse sitting behind this window she was operating the dialysis machine and she stuck her head out and she introduced herself and she said, I've, I've known Harvey for many, many years. And she said, I've heard just about every testimony that he can tell. And she looked at him and she said, this man right here has changed my life because of his testimony. Because he has gone through unspeakable things and yet when you reach over and take his hand, he opens his eyes and he smiles. And he talks about how good God is. 
Let me tell you that whatever God has done or is doing in your life to perfect your salvation and to bring you to a place of maturity, it's not just for you. It's for everyone who is around you. Because when they see the grace of Jesus Christ in your life, it will make a difference in theirs. They don't need some mean preacher standing in a pulpit on Sunday morning saying, you better get right or you're going to get left. (laughs) They need everyday ordinary people just like you. Who when you go to work and when you go to Walmart and when you go to take care of the groceries and whatever it is that you do, that you square your shoulders and you know who you are in Christ Jesus. And you sing like they sang this morning, I know I am who he says I am. I'm not down and out. I'm not discouraged. I'm not frustrated. I'm not dead. I'm not dying. I'm not, I'm not going there. I am a child of the living God. I have royal blood flowing through my veins. And no matter what I face in this life, I shall come forth from it through the power of Jesus Christ. And lives will be touched because of it. Aren't you thankful for that? I'd like for you to bow your your heads and close your eyes.